The reading is from Mark 1, verse 1 to 15. That's on page 1002 of the Church Bibles. I'll give you a minute to find that. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came down from the heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once a Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Before we take some time to look at these verses, let me ask you a question as we start. I wonder when the last time was that you received some really good news. The danger at the moment, as we look around the world, as we look at the UK, is it can always be full of bad news. I wonder when you last received some really good news. Last month, um, Rosie, my wife, and I uh, had a very special occasion. Uh, We had our first night away from Lily since she was born. Um, Now, if you're younger and therefore you don't really appreciate the significance of that, maybe ask your parents, and they'll probably still remember their first night. Now, look, Lily is, if you haven't met her, she's our 17-month-old daughter. We love her very, very much. But we were looking forward to this night away uh, from Lily. My parents had very kindly agreed to come and look after Lily for the Friday night so we could go away to a hotel. Um, and Thursday morning, Lily woke up with a high temperature. And we thought, typical. You know those ones where, like the electronic one that you put in their ear? It was red. It was, that's the kind of series you need to be taking note of this temperature. Um, she was pretty groggy during the day, had no energy about her. Uh, went to bed Thursday, uh, Thursday evening, still not feeling great. Um, Friday morning she woke up. It had gone down to orange, so it's still kind of a mild temperature. Not great, but not as bad as yesterday. Improvement's coming. Uh, my parents arrived at lunchtime. Apparently, as um, Rosie brought Lily down the stairs to greet my parents, uh, she didn't, my mum didn't tell me this at the time, but she took one look at Lily and just thought, there is no chance you're going away tonight. Um, Over the course of the afternoon, Lily improved, she got better, we put her to bed, and we just said to to my parents, look, we're going to go for it. If she wakes up, if she's crying, if she's really upset, of course, just give us a ring, we'll come back, but but let's go for it. 
Um, so Rosie and I got off um, enjoying a night away at a hotel, looking forward to a, a nice lie-in. 7.30 the next morning, fire alarm. Would you believe it in the hotel? Fire alarm goes off. We wake up, we look at each other, you go, are you kidding me? But it was one of those ones that lasted for five seconds and then stopped. So then you have this kind of moral dilemma in your mind of going, Every t- I'm told whenever a fire alarm, just evacuate, but, but it stopped. What, what do I do? And then 10 seconds later, it goes off again. Five seconds, it stops. And so we're just torn. What, what are we going to do? Um, I went, you know, you have those peepholes. I went to the peephole to have a look in the corridor, and no one's moving. And so I know we shouldn't do this, but we kind of said, look, someone can come and get us, but we are not letting our lion be disturbed. Uh, but that was broken for me. I, I couldn't get back to sleep. But we were at um, a, like a hotel and spa, so we were like, oh, enjoy a nice cooked breakfast, enjoy like, unlimited coffee, all of that kind of things, these perks. And then um, we planned to go to the swim, enjoy the swimming pool. Um, so we made our way to the swimming pool, and as, I, as we were walking towards the swimming pool, I could notice all these children and toddlers kind of like walking in the same direction. And we got up to um, the reception of the pool and said, oh, is, is the pool open? Can we use it? And they said, are you, are you guests here? I said, yeah, 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 we're, we're, we're staying the night. And they said, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Just to let you know, in five minutes, there's a children's swimming lesson starting. And so I said, so can we still use the pool? And they're like, yeah, 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 of course. And I was like, is there a, a second pool? And they're like, no, 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 what we'll do is, we'll, you know those ropes they, they put down the middle? We'll just put one of those down and divide the pool so you can use the other half, that's fine. I was like, okay. I looked to my left to the pool, and, and honestly, it, was like, it looked about the size of our baptistry here, like the size of the stage. And I turned to Rosie, and I said, what do you think? And she was like, I'm not really sure. I don't know. What do you think? I said, Rosie, I'm really sorry, but I just don't fancy just relaxing in a pool where you've got toddlers and little children learning to swim with their parents either watching from the side or in the pool with them. I'm really sorry, but but I, I, I'm not up for it. As we were walking away from the pool, my phone buzzed. Mum had texted me. And I can remember thinking, oh, just give me some good news. And the text said, Lily slept straight through the night. We went to get her in the morning. It was the first time she'd been woken by anyone in the morning other than myself and Rosie. We went to wake her in the morning, a massive smile on her face as we went to wake her. Look, <laughs> I know it's trivial, but that was good news for us. I wonder what it might be for you at the moment. What would be good news for you? You know what, maybe for you, getting a good night's sleep, it isn't trivial. Maybe you can't even remember the last night where you managed to sleep unbroken. And you're just looking for that unbroken good night's rest. Maybe that would be good news for you. Maybe you're after good news within your family. Maybe a family member you'd love to hear from that would be good news. Maybe it's at work or or at school or college. There's a project you're working on, and and you just want to get to work tomorrow morning and find out there's been good news. Oh, for some good news. This evening, we're starting a series in the book of Mark. And you may have noticed that as it was read out, Mark kind of gives us the punchline for his whole book in his first sentence. I I wonder if... if, um, you have kind of readers previewing it, reviewing it, whether they go, Mark, it's probably not the best idea to do it. it. You can't really imagine a kind of whodunit that starts, it was Colonel Mustard in the drawing room with the lead piping. Now let me tell you what happened. It, it just doesn't work that way. 
But Mark isn't writing a whodunit. And so he starts by telling us what his book is all about. And he starts by saying, I've got good news for you. You see that word gospel in the first sentence? It literally means good news. So he says, this is the beginning of the good news. Mark's saying, there is a new beginning that's coming. Let me tell you all about it. And it's all about good news. Mark says Christianity is all about good news. Maybe you've come this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Or you're, you're looking into things and you're not sure where you stand. Here is good news. It's good news that has stood the test of time. Mark writes this gospel, this book, to say this good news, it's rooted in the historical figure of Jesus Christ. It's a historical document that is based on eyewitness testimony. This good news, it's not fake news. It's true news, and it's good news. It's good news that is thousands of years old, and it's good news that is still transforming billions of people's lives even today. And so with the challenges that are facing us today, with the amount of bad news that we seem to be bombarded with at the moment, is it worth having a look at this good news? So let's take a look at these opening, this opening section of Mark's gospel. And we're going to look at three aspects of this good news that you'll have on the back of your notice sheet if you want to follow along. And as we go through it, remember we've got the pigeonhole link that if you want to um, post questions about the passage or anything you hear, and we'll work through those later. But let's get into it and see three aspects of this good news. Here's the first one. It's good news about Jesus. Mark says this good news is all about a person. Do you see that at the beginning of verse 1? The beginning of the gospel about Jesus. And this might sound very simple, but, but let's not move past this too quickly. Christianity is not about rules and laws. Christianity fundamentally isn't about being good or, or doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing. Christianity isn't even primarily about church coming to church, the different activities or groups that we run here at St. Mary's. It's not primarily about the Bible, making sure we read it regularly. Even though those things are, are good, important things, do you see what Mark says? Christianity is fundamentally about a person. And so Mark wants to make this point clear, and so in these opening verses, he gives us the testimony of three different people, or groups of people. Three different people. He starts with himself in that first verse. Here's his testimony. Mark makes clear that Christianity is all about Jesus. And so as we work through Mark's gospel, we'll see Jesus drawing people to himself. It's about a relationship with him. And then in verses 2 to 3, he, give us, he gives us the prophet's testimony. Let me read those verses to us. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Here are prophecies or, or predictions that are made about what will happen in the future. Prophecies that have been made hundreds of years before this event. Prophecies that are looking forward to this event. And so Mark wants to highlight the significance of them. 
Because these prophecies are saying, look, in the future, someone is going to come, and he will make way, prepare the way for the Lord. Because it's all about him. And so, after hundreds of years, here is this person. We have Mark's testimony, we have the prophet's testimony, and then Mark shows us John the Baptist's testimony in verses 4 to 8. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so, Mark says, John comes. And verse 4, he, he preaches repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He, he's getting people ready for the arrival of Jesus. Verse 5, the crowds flock to him and are baptized by him. Baptism, it's, it's a sign, it's a, a symbol of being washed clean. And so it links to this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's saying, look, you've got it wrong. You've lived in a way that doesn't please God. You've lived in a way that ignores God. You've sinned. And so you need to be washed clean. And so say sorry, come back to him. And so baptism, being washed clean, is is a symbol, a sign of that happening. Verse 6, we get a description, a random description of John's appearance. But this would have pointed people back to the prophets of the Old Testament. People would have seen his appearance and gone, that's what Elijah was like. And so people see that here is a prophet. And yet what is John's message? Verse 7 and 8. He comes to announce Jesus. John is preparing the way. It's the one coming who John wants people to know about. John says, he's more powerful than I. In fact, he's so powerful, he's so important, that I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. A a job that was thought to be so lowly that not even the servants in the house could do it. It was kept for the lowest of the slaves. And you see what John's saying here? This guy is so important, so worthy, that even I can't do even that. I mean, John says, let's, let's understand what I do compared to what he will come to do. I, I just baptize with water. It, it's a sign. It's, it's symbolism. This guy coming after me, he's going to do the real thing. He'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. The washing clean that baptism symbolizes, he'll come and actually do it for you. An inner transformation, an inner washing clean. Christianity is all about the person Jesus. And so the challenge is to never forget this. Whether you're here and and just learning about Jesus for the first time, or whether you've heard about him for years and years and years, Christianity is all about Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I caught up with a friend of mine, and we were chatting about how we can keep in touch and encourage each other 
going forward. And I was so struck by what he said. Um, He works for a church as well up in the north of England, and he said to me, look, I'd love to keep in touch, and of of course we can chat about kind of how things are going, uh, what's been good, what's more challenging, but but more than that, I want to talk about Jesus, he said. (laughs) I I want you to encourage me about Jesus. If you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, please keep looking into this man, Jesus. A man who literally split history into two, B.C. and A.D. I mean, what would I have to do for my life to be so significant that they go, hey, let's change the whole year that we're in for that to happen? A man who is the subject of the best-selling book in the world. A man who changed, has changed more lives than anyone else and continues to change lives today. Will you look into this man, who he is, what he's done? And if you are a Christian, please don't ever move on from Jesus. Please make your relationship with Jesus the most important priority in your life. Please get people around you who will ask you, how is your relationship with Jesus going? Maybe after the service, to get into the routine and rhythm of chatting to other people about Jesus, telling them what you find so amazing about Jesus, what he's done in your life. Mark gives us good news about Jesus. Second, Mark gives us good news about a king. And there's three aspects of this king that Mark tells us about. Have a look in verse 1. Do you see how Mark describes Jesus? The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Christ isn't like Jesus' surname, like I'm Tom Woodbridge. No, Christ is a title, but it's a really significant title. The Christ, or you may have in your version, the Messiah, well, this was spoken about in the Old Testament as the one who will come. And this Christ is God's promised king. This Christ is God's anointed king, and he will come and he will rescue his people. And so we see when Jesus bursts on the scene in verse 9. Jesus comes from Nazareth. He's baptized by Jesus. He's baptized to to identify with the people that he's come to save, to show them this is what you need, and I will come and do this for you. And do you see the extraordinary events that happen as Jesus comes up out of the water in verse 10? The Holy Spirit descends on him. And a voice speaks, the voice of his Father, God in heaven. And it's so significant what is spoken. God the Father says, you are my son. This is a quote from Psalm 2. A psalm that speaks of of the all-powerful king who will come and defeat the enemies. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is a quote from Isaiah 42, and it comes at the start of a section in Isaiah which speaks of a servant who will come. But it tells us that this servant will come and serve his people by suffering. This servant will come and suffer for his people by giving up his life. Do you see what God is saying about this coming king, Jesus? The divine son of God, the king has come to be the suffering servant. 
And this wasn't what people were expecting at the time. They, they knew a king had been promised, but they were expecting a king that would almost come all guns blazing, that would come and defeat the enemies. And at the time, the Israelites were, the people of Israel were occupied by the Romans, and they wanted someone to get rid of the Romans. And this coming king would do that, right? It's almost like, um, I don't know if you've been watching The Ring of Power. I think some people haven't seen the finale, so I won't give it away. Don't worry. Uh, But if you've seen the Lord of the Rings films or read the books, it's almost like Aragorn in The um, Return of the King, when you've got that massive battle going on, and it's not going too well. And then Aragorn appears with his vast army and just sweeps through the enemy. A suffering servant? That's not the plan. But this is the plan that's announced by God. It is good news about a king who comes to be the suffering servant. And then we learn it's good news about a king who will confront evil in verses 12 to 13. After this epic scene of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present together, the Holy Spirit sends Jesus out to the desert or the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. Did you know that up to this point, um, there's only two others who have been referenced as the Son of God or the Sons of God? Adam, right at the start of the Bible, and the people, the nation of Israel. And if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that both these people failed. When they were tempted by Satan, they failed. Yet this Son of God... Now, this is the true Son of God. He doesn't fail. Do you notice how long Jesus is in the desert for, or the wilderness? For 40 days. People reading this would have been reminded of Israel wandering around the wilderness for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And yet, the other Gospels tell us Jesus trusted in the Lord and resisted the temptation of the devil. We have a king who will confront evil. It's something we'll see as we journey through Mark's gospel. It's something we'll see at the climax of Mark's gospel. It's something we desperately need in our world today. Christianity is good news about a king who has come to confront evil. And Christianity is good news about a king who will bring in a new kingdom. Do you see that in verse 15? Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. But it's not like a kind of physical place where he is ruler and and he reigns. It's more the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God that comes into people's lives, into people's hearts. It's God's perfect, righteous rule. It's life as, as it's meant to be lived. What does this look like? Well, Mark's gospel will show us as we see how Jesus brings God's kingdom in and what he teaches. But if you could sum it up in two sentences, as Jesus is asked to do in Mark 12, he says, what does it look like? It looks like loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And it's loving your neighbor as yourself. Could you imagine a society where people did that? If you're a Christian here, are you living under Jesus' rule in his kingdom, looking to live out 
the way that he calls us to. Looking to love God with all your heart. Looking to love your neighbor as yourself. Wonder what that would look like in your neighborhood or in your workplace or school or college. I remember speaking to someone this week who talked of the impact of um, a Christian colleague. This person wasn't a Christian, but seeing the impact that Christ made to this person just struck him so much that he had to ask questions. Christianity is good news about a king who brings in a new kingdom. Christianity is good news about Jesus. It's good news about a king. And then finally, it's good news to respond to, verse 15. As we go through Mark, you'll pick up that Mark is a fast-moving book. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't mess around, waste time. 41 times in the book of Mark, the word immediately is used. And so as Aaron said at the start, there's, there's no Christmas story at the start of Mark. In fact, he misses out 30 years of Jesus' life. And he shows us Jesus' first words as recorded in Mark. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Here's the call of Jesus. Repent and believe. Repent, it's, it's to acknowledge that you have done wrong. To stop and to make a complete U-turn. U-turn seems to be a bit of a buzzword, popular word this past week. I was thinking during this week as I was prepping for this, oh, wonderful illustration the government has given me for repentance. But don't worry, I won't dwell on it too much. But here's what U-turn literally is, is to recognize that you're going in the wrong direction, to recognize that you've made a mistake, and so to stop and to turn and to change course. And yet here's what's so hard about making that U-turn, as... <laughs> people have found out this week. You've got to acknowledge that the direction you're going in is wrong. You've made a mistake, and so a U-turn is needed. But so often, we don't like other people telling us we've got it wrong. And we don't like admitting to ourselves, even, that we've got it wrong. Jesus calls us to repent. And throughout his book, we'll see the challenge to us that we've all turned our back on God. We've all decided to not acknowledge him as king and make ourselves king of our own lives. That we've lived with us in charge. And Jesus says, no, stop. Say sorry and make a U-turn. Repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Mark says, I have good news. It's good news about a man that you have been waiting for. It's good news about a man who can wash us clean and deal with our sin. It's good news about a man who will come and serve and suffer. It's good news about a man who can deal with evil. It's good news about a man who brings in a new kingdom. The phrase torn open in verse 10 of our passage comes up in one other place in Mark, near the end, in chapter 15, when the curtain of the temple is torn open. As Jesus is hanging on a cross dying with his arms outstretched, the king, the son of God, the servant who is suffering in your place, 
and takes your punishment. Here in Mark chapter 1, heaven is torn open and the way is made open for God to come down to us. Later on in chapter 15, as Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple is torn open and the way is made open for us to come back to God. And so maybe you're hearing this call for the very first time to acknowledge that you're going in the wrong direction, to stop and to repent and believe. Or maybe you're here as a Christian and you made that first repentance many years ago. Don't stop saying sorry and repenting. We do it together every service, every week. But keep repenting and saying sorry because we're not perfect. We get it wrong. And so keep coming back to Jesus and saying sorry. Mark says this is good news, and it's all about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for Mark's gospel, his good news. Thank you that he wants to show us Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to know Jesus, help us to see Jesus, either for the first time or see him afresh. And so as we work through Mark's gospel, help us to come close to Jesus as we see who he is and what he has done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, Woody, we're going to start with the first one. Uh, it talks about Jesus being baptized in this passage. Um, so how does Jesus relate to his people by being baptized? What is the symbolism here if he doesn't need cleansing? Yeah, great question. Um, it's a bit naughty of me, but when I was thinking forward to the Q&A, this was kind of the question I was hoping wouldn't come up. Um, so well done. Um, it's something I've been trying to grapple with this week in the prep, and actually over lunch was chatting to Rosie going, like, why, why do you think Jesus gets baptized? Because as the question says, baptism is an act of cleansing. Jesus doesn't need to be cleansed, right? Um, so it was, it was good fun trying to preempt and then think about what's going on here. Um, it's interesting, don't turn here, but it's interesting in Matthew's gospel in the baptism of Jesus. Basically, John almost asks the same question. Jesus comes to John to be baptized, and John goes, whoa, 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 whoa. No, I should be baptized by you. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Jesus replies saying, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. And so I think what's going on here, um, without having studied Matthew's gospel so much, I think what's going on is Jesus has come to fulfill the promises or the prophecies of the Old Testament. Um, And so him getting baptized is identifying with his people to show, look, um, this is what you need, and this is what I have come to do for you. Uh, But also Jesus comes as um, the perfect God, but also the perfect man. He comes to show us what life, how life is to be lived or should be lived. And so in becoming the perfect man, he fulfills all righteousness to show us what that perfect man or woman, sorry, should, um, life should look like. And so he is tempted. We all go through temptation. Yet because he is perfect, he doesn't fall to that temptation. And in fulfilling the all-righteousness of what a life lived following God would look like is to repent, is to believe, and the command in Acts is to then be baptized. And so Jesus shows us what that looks like to live 
the life that we're called to live um, as he comes. So he's not being baptized. He's definitely not being baptized because he needs to, because he's sinful and needs to be washed clean. But it's to identify with us to show our need, to show what he's come to do, and to fulfill all righteousness of what we are called to be as human beings. That's my best stab at it, but come back at me if you fancy um, coming back, or if you know a better answer that can help me out. That would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Like you say, tricky question. Rather you than me. Um, (laughs) Next one. When it says to love your neighbor as yourself, is that just an expression? I don't love myself, but I still need to love my neighbor, don't I? Is it more a turn of phrase than a quantifier? Um, To answer the question, yes, I think it's an expression to get the point across because I guess you could also look at it and go love my neighbor as in literally my get away with just loving my next door neighbor and then treat everyone else however I want to treat them so it is an expression in going love my neighbor isn't just my next door neighbor but it's it's everyone I come into contact with everyone in my vicinity of life Um, and to love them as I would love myself in the way that I look after myself and care for myself Will I look after others and care for others? Uh, So I think that helps us understand what Jesus is getting at. I I would love to, obviously these are anonymous, but I would love to say to this person, I'd love to chat to you about what you mean when you say, I I don't love myself, and and what that looks like for you, what you mean by that. So please come and chat to me about that, or chat to someone else who you know and trust about that. Um, We'd really love to talk to you about what that means and looks like for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Really good point at the end. Okay, on to maybe a more practical one. Um, how can we live out our faith so that others see a difference without it seeming to them like a bunch of rules we have to follow? Yeah, uh, like, great question and a challenge I found growing up as a teenager and even since then of what, what does it look like to live it out, to, to show it to show that the gospel, that Christianity is attractive and not just a set of do's and don'ts. Um, I think what can be really, or what has been helpful for me and what can be really helpful is, is not so much seeing it as right, what, how must I live or not live, what must I do or not do, but, but what is my lifestyle like? And so a really helpful place I go to to think about that is the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and think, what would my life look like? Let me flick there so I don't make the mistake of getting them wrong. What would it look like for me to live out love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Things that I'm sure if I live them out well, and I fail to do that, but if I live them out well, I'm sure people wouldn't look at me and go, oh, it's just the do's and don'ts that you're doing. I don't want to do all that. Imagine someone living out those and I just think that's attractive. And so I, I try to look at these and go, what would it look like for me this week to love people, to show love to people? Because Christ has shown love to me. Christ is transforming me by his Holy Spirit. And so I, I want to go and love people, not because of the do's and don'ts, but because of what Christ has done for me and my change of motivation to live for him. Um, so I think that could be helpful of, of what will it look like for me to live those out. That's how my faith affects the way that I live. And pray that people notice this difference in me, these fruits of the Spirit as the Holy Spirit works in me. And pray that they notice that and go, what is it about you 
that even though those people are annoying, you, you don't just lash back. You're patient with them and be able to give them the hope that we know and trust in Jesus. Yeah, great. I guess it's that change of heart that's the real difference. Mm. Like if you are, you know, if someone's kind of begrudging, like, ah, oh, I wish I could do that, but actually I'm kind of, I'm going to not do that. Yeah. You know, that's where you, it looks like the do's and don'ts. Whereas if your heart's changed and you don't want to do those things, then you can do that with joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, let's do the last question. Um, this one starts with, life is pretty rubbish for me right now. The good news doesn't seem all that good. How do I take the good news into this? Yeah, thank you for your honesty. Um, and I imagine the fact that it's been liked or voted, whatever, however it works with Pigeonhole, shows that this isn't just a single thing, but it will be common for different people. And, and, and it is the reality of life, isn't it? We looked um, a few weeks ago at Psalm 23, which talks about walking through the darkest valley and saying that it's not that being a Christian means we'll never walk through the darkest valley. Psalm 23 says being a Christian means that when we walk through them, God is always with us. And so it is a reality for the Christian life. And so <laughs> sometimes the good news doesn't feel like good news. I, I hope that as we work through Mark's gospel, we'll be able to see um, Jesus afresh. And so as we look at who Jesus is and what he does, that will fresh, refresh our minds and reshape our hearts and our lives. And to see that even though bad things still happen, and even though we, don't, uh, we go through these darkest valleys, how the good news can speak into that and can still be good news in the light of that. That's really hard. Um, if, you're, if you're younger and feel this way, something that's really encouraged me is talking to an older Christian about how they've found going through tough times and what's encouraged them to keep going. But if, if this is you, please speak to someone. And so please come and speak to me if you're comfortable coming to speak to me. Or if you prefer to speak to a woman, please speak to Caroline or someone else you know and trust. We would love to chat with you and to walk with you and journey with you on this. The Christian life is one of relationships, and so we don't need to walk through the darkest valleys alone. We have Christ with us. We also have brothers and sisters in Christ with us. So please don't be on your own here. Please come and speak to myself, Caroline, another member of staff, or, or another Christian who you know and trust so we can chat these things through. Great.